Hi, everyone. It's Rebecca Minkoff, and you're listening to Superwomen. And today, my guest is Rachel Blumenthal, the founder of Rockets of Awesome. In New York City, at least, you see these kids in these incredible little silver jackets. They're so cute. I wish she made adult sizes. And Rachel has done an incredible job launching yet another company after some other very successful companies called Rockets of Awesome. And she's here to share her story. Take a listen. All right, so I am here with Rachel Blumenthal, someone I get to call a friend, but also the CEO and founder of Rockets of Awesome. Hi. Hi. <laughs> it's so nice to be sitting this close to you this early in the morning. I mean, <laughs> we sat close to each other last week, but now we get to do it twice. So we met how? Um, someone was asking me that on the way over. I can't remember if we met as moms who also had companies or if we met pre being moms. But I think once like right after we had kids, we met. Yes, I think so. It's always I think you said that if it's it's good, if you don't remember how you met them, it means like it's yeah, it means you really like each other. Yes. Yeah. Tell me about your journey. You don't have to give me the long spiel, but tell me about what made you decide to be an entrepreneur. I never decide to be an entrepreneur. Um, had you <laughs> okay. asked me, I don't know how many years ago, 10, 15 years ago, I would have been like, what? I'm never going to do that. I'm too risk adverse. Um, I always figured I would climb the ladder, go to business school and run somebody else's company someday. And did you have an idea of what kind of company? No, you want? no. I knew. I mean, I grew up on Cape Cod. I knew nothing of what careers existed in the world because I was surrounded by doctors and lawyers. Um, and so when I landed in New York, I was incredibly overwhelmed by what the opportunities were. And I also didn't know that you could have a like a job in fashion that people respected. Fashion always felt garmento. No, it, it felt more like frivolous to me and very fancy and not taken seriously. And, and I also, frankly, just didn't know what the jobs were. Um, but I knew I loved fashion. I knew that I liked organizing and arranging and like putting people together and things together and planning. But I didn't know what that meant. And I was very fortunate to get my first job at YSL. And So wait, back it up. You graduate college and then they're like, oh, you. Okay, this is actually a really good story. So <laughs> my friend worked at Dior at the time. She was like the lowly, you know, assistant assistant at Dior. And she sent a sample sale invite to a bunch of our friends. And she CC'd every single fashion publicist in New York. I love it when that happens. On this email. Love those. And it's that moment where even back then you knew like, wait, you did that? But I was like, this is amazing. This is gold. I don't know anybody. So I took every single email address. I BCC'd them and I sent them my resume. And people started responding. Wow. And so I had interviews at Chanel and Herrera and Todd's and YSL. And why do you think your resume stood out? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I was a kid from Cape Cod who was an economics and political science double major who had one internship at Seventeen Magazine and one at AOL Time Warner in the book division and didn't know a soul. I don't know, but... The woman who hired me at YSL told me that she hired me because I was from Massachusetts and she was from Boston and she liked that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, for once, being a mass hole benefits you. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. I love that it had nothing to do with your education or anything. Nothing. It was just like, oh, you're from the same state. She was like, you seem really smart. I like that you're from Massachusetts and I think that you can figure this out. <laughs> okay. And it was it was I was like this is my dream job to be surrounded by beautiful, sparkly, 
pretty things all day. Oh, my gosh. Um, so it was the best job ever. It was at the height of Tom Ford and the glamour of fashion. What um, did you do there? I was a PR assistant, which meant that I did all of the... Um, men's and women's ready-to-wear and accessory placement in magazines. I worked with the magazine editors and then all the celebrity dressing. And what was interesting was that my role, I was in this incredibly creative environment, but my role wasn't creative. And I'm very much a half creative, half business person. And I was really missing sort of that creativity. And I went to the bead stores on 6th Avenue one weekend and I bought a bunch of materials and um, I used my dad's dental tools and I handmade a ring with no intention of anything other than I just needed like a creative outlet. And I was wearing the ring at work at YSL and um, some editors that I was friends with from Lucky Magazine saw it and decided to feature me as a designer. And what and did this know, ring look like? It was very organic looking because <laughs> I was not a designer. <laughs> um, it was gold wire with semi-precious stones, basically the ones that have holes in it. So you could like loop the wire through oh, and wow. it was very clustery looking, very handmade. And it was sort of like right before costume jewelry went like went crazy. And so it was very early on in that that period of time. And, you know, when you work in PR, you kind of know the BS of a lot of what gets into magazines. And um, I think that probably one of my greatest skills or uh, reflexes is that I'm very opportunistic. And I'm always interested in an opportunity that's presented to me and trying to figure out what what's there and, and what could it be. And so I just went with it. I just completely faked it and said, sure, you can feature me. And it ended up being this sort of like spiral of um, moments that you're not prepared for where they featured me. They called for credit check in a magazine, which means they need the price and the retailer and the name of your company, none of which I had. And I said, um, I'm in the middle of a meeting. Can I call you back? And I spent the next two days going up and down Madison and Amsterdam and Columbus Avenue, begging somebody to take my product on consignment. I don't even know how I knew in retrospect to ask them to do that. Um, but I got a retailer to take it on consignment. And so I called them back and I said, it's Rachel Lee, which was my first and middle name. I had no company and I made up the price and I gave them this retailer and that was my business. And about a month later, Daily Candy called and said, we're going to feature you next week. What's your domain? Domain. I mean, this was in 2003. There was no domain. So I called a guy I hadn't seen since I was 13 from <laughs> Hebrew school that I heard like made websites. And he threw up a landing page and a photo and an email address. And that was my website and Daily Candy Hit. And they just put me on the map. But they were the only game in town back in 2003. They were amazing. They were, That's why I'm here. Right. Yeah, we talked about that. So they put me on the map and I started doing trunk shows at Henry Bendel um, when when they were, you Dude, know, the height. You're bringing back so many <laughs> memories. It's like we're on the same track. Yes. <laughs> um, and started doing those hideous trade shows that we did together. But, you know, it was one of those moments where I just kept sort of like rolling with the punches to see what would happen. And Ultimately, six months later, ShopUp picked me up as one of their first jewelry designers. I mean, it was really that long ago. And I had a couple of other small boutiques that I was selling to. And, you know, it, it was that moment where you don't really know what it can be, but you see that there is an inkling and a kernel of opportunity and somebody wants what you're offering. And you, I already had some customers. And the beauty of that business at the time was that I had 
I didn't need to make any investment. I could go with my $100 to the bead stores on 6th Avenue, hand make it myself, sell it for $1,000, and go back with my profit to buy more materials. And so it was a very low-risk proposition for somebody who was 23 with no experience and no money. Did you sell it for $1,000? Not individually, but the margins were amazing. Yes. The margins in costume jewelry are incredible. If you're listening right now, make sure you have a margin in your business. <laughs> <laughs> that means the dollars that you will that you will profit <laughs> when you sell an item. So, you know, I just sort of went with it and I figured, hey, I'll be back in six months when this doesn't work. And, you know, ultimately I built that business over the course of eight years. We were in about 500 retailers worldwide. We did private label for American Eagle, Target, and J. Crew. I want to stop you there because when you start from literally hand making something and then suddenly you're a private label for all these big brands, how did you even know where to go or set up your manufacturing base? Like, how did, were you just? You don't. Okay. I mean, truly. I was, I Google? really knew nothing. I was asking women that I would see buying materials at the bead stores, like, do you know anyone that makes jewelry? I really knew nothing. But what made these companies find, you know? Well, that was many years later. Okay. So I didn't start doing private label for them until probably year six or seven. Okay. So very, very late in the game. So then by then you knew what you were doing. Yes. Okay. I mean, (laughs) still kind of. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, I, I I think that the summary of that business and how I think about it and apply it to anyone who's starting a business or anything that I've done in the future is that there's such an importance of mitigating risk and being able to check questions that you have about your idea off of, you know, check the boxes off of that piece of paper that you're that you're keeping um, along the way until you know that there's really something there to work with that's differentiated that customers actually want before you jump off the bridge. And at some point you have to jump off. You're never going to have all the answers. I still don't have the answers, but as many answers that you can sort of define for yourself before you take those bigger risks will enable you to set yourself up for success. Totally. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Fast forward, you decide that you want to launch Rockets of Awesome after you have a blog and a, an e-com site, Cricket Circle. How did you get that idea and what? why was it important for you to pursue your fourth business? Third. Third. Okay, yeah. third. So I actually think Cricket Circle is an interesting story because um, it was a moment of 
potentially great failure and also growth. Um, so Cricket Circle was a product recommendation engine, curated product recommendations and content that was geared towards um, moms who were pregnant, that were having babies and toddlers and helping them navigate the tens of thousands of baby products that they were exposed to and figuring out how do I know which car seat and stroller and sippy cup. And um, basically what we did was create a cliff notes for what to buy when you have a baby. And we told people these were the three products in every category based on who you were in a very, very simplistic um, algorithm would be right for you to make your life easier. And we built really great editorial content with a very defined voice that enabled us to build trust and loyalty with our consumer. What was interesting about that moment in time was that it was a period in time where it was acceptable to raise venture capital when you didn't know how you were going to monetize your business. And a moment when a great brand, a great idea, a great market would enable you to interest investors and have them give you money. And that's really exciting for an entrepreneur because you have vision and you want to bring it to life and you need capital to be able to do it. And, you know, we certainly had ideas of how we would monetize it, but none of them were flushed out to the point where you take on investment from somebody else. And what we learned through the process of testing different monetization strategies is that um, one, what we we initially thought was going to be our monetization strategy was not going to be possible because as a business that was talking about hard goods like car seats and strollers, we never wanted to hold inventory to compete with Amazon or back then diapers.com. Um, but we certainly saw a path to being able to monetize on the products that we were recommending. And ultimately that didn't work out. And we, you know, as we were testing different strategies, we were testing something similar to rockets um, and that this idea that kids were outgrowing products and your kids were growing and um, we could put the products in your home before you realized that you needed them and make your life easier. There was a really interesting test that we did with about 200 customers that um, validated that assumption. At the same time, we were also hearing from customers whose kids were growing that you know, that moment where you think your car seat and your stroller decision is life-changing. And if you make the wrong one, your kid is not going to go to college. Um, once you make those decisions, you realize that you can like make the bib and, and the, the sippy cup decision. You have that confidence. <laughs> um, it's true. That actually happens. Um, but the ongoing pain point was that your kids were outgrowing their clothes and with so feverish fast. pace. And I mean, I remember the first time I was like, wait, the in nothing in this dresser fits the entire dresser. How is that possible? And then they have a meltdown. Yeah. And they and won't go like, to school. How is that possible? <laughs> and so recognizing that there was actually a greater, longer term pain point for our customer um, in the fact that they needed new kids clothes very frequently. Um, there wasn't great style at a great value point in the market. And there was an opportunity to serve that consumer. And so before you pivoted, is there that moment when you're like, I took people's venture capital. They took a risk. You took a risk. That didn't work. Sorry, guys. I'm going to go on to something new. Or do you say, hey, I have a new idea. Let's pivot. Like, how do, how do you go through that? Because I feel like a lot of people take money and then if it doesn't work, they're like, fuck. Yeah. So you first hit this moment of, holy shit, this is really bad. 
like what I, what I thought I was going to do with their money and, and how this is going to um, materialize is, is not physically possible. That's not even an option on the table anymore. And, you know, I guess I want to say that, you know, hopefully the best entrepreneurs know what to do. You know, it's like you make lemonade out of lemons, but you know what to do in those moments where you say, all right, well, like, get back on the horse and like, let's figure it out. Like, what are you going to do? Right. And I think the benefit for me was that we had sort of two amazing propositions in front of us. One was that we could deliver the service of products in your home at the right time, some sort of subscription type service for our customer. Um, but we also had this opportunity around kids clothes. And the hardest moment for me was actually that personal moment where you have to say, this was my vision. This is what I believed in. This is what I've been like on my soapbox for, for the last, you know, two years or whatever it might be. Am I okay turning my back and saying, you know what, I still really believe in this business and this vision, but it's not possible or it's not best for all the constituents involved. And there's a better opportunity for ahead of us that is better for most. And making that decision was probably even harder than then having to tell my investors that we were switching gears. But um, really, you know, I think it's such a development opportunity and a growth opportunity for an entrepreneur because really at that point you have to step outside yourself and say, you have people that you're responsible for that you need to be making decisions for versus just for yourself. And so being able to make that decision and certainly along those lines, you know, there are investors that were really close to the process. So it wasn't sort of new information that one day they, they just received an email. They were certainly part of the process and actually incredibly helpful in the process. But, you know, acknowledging that the vision and and the plan, like it didn't work and, and we're on to the next plan. Right. And so they stuck in there for the next plan. They did. They did, which is exciting. And, you know, it's it's such an interesting process because, and I've spoken to so many investors along the way, because, you know, when you raise seed capital, um, the really what people are investing in is they're saying, I believe in you. I believe in this category. Um, I believe in this general idea. But really, I have no idea what you're going to go and do with this money. I just know that I'm bought into you in this category. And you're starting to see a shift from that series C investment to a series A investment where um, by A, they're like, so why aren't you doing what you said you were going to do with the money? And why aren't we seeing the metrics and the, you know, the progress and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, we're on a journey. Like it's an idea. And now we have to go on the journey of actually unpacking the idea and building it and really understanding how it's going to materialize based on feedback from customers. Like you can't just build it in a bubble. Right. And so definitely the process of, or the growth of understanding what it means to raise capital and um, setting expectations with investors along the way has been very eye-opening for me. So one of the things you talk about is being a CEO, a mother, a wife, uh, doesn't mean you can't make mistakes. And while you're celebrating your life with kids, it's not always picture perfect. So will you discuss any sort of moments of of that occurring? <laughs> like every day. Every day. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, nothing, not, nothing ever goes to plan. And I think that, I think actually the moments that I've been most proud of are when I fuck up so bad that... I can actually really enjoy those moments. That to me feels like success now. So talk, how do you enjoy it when you mess up really bad? So, and, and not that this is like the world ends, but you know, like when you, like I've sent my babysitter to go pick up like one of my kids at school and they're not there. 
And my babysitter will be like, uh, so, you know, Griffin's not here today. Is, is everything okay? And I'm like, oh, yeah, he didn't go to school. He was sick. Sorry. <laughs> and you just keep going on with your day. And it's those moments where you can be like, oh, my God, I'm such like I'm such a bad mom. Or like, why don't I have it together? Or how could you drop the ball like that? And, you know, Neil, my husband, has at times been like, are you okay? And I actually find those moments to be the most gratifying because I'm like, yeah, I'm actually great. Like, I am okay with making mistakes when five years ago, 10 years ago, I would have been so hard on myself and seen that as such failure. And now I actually see that as great growth where you don't sweat the small things anymore and you really prioritize. Yeah. I wish that's advice I could have given myself because I remember one mistake back in the day seemed like the world was ending. Totally. And now it's like, oh, that's it. My kid, my kid didn't get picked up from school yesterday. It's, it was like 6.15 and I was like, all right. Like we're good. Life will continue. I mean, I <laughs> remember, alive. yeah, I remember like used to having such anxiety when I would open my email on my phone with this like dread that I was going to have emails in there that something, something bad happened. And by the way, like you get 10 of those a day. Yes. Um, but it feels like such growth now to be like, oh, I can't wait to see what bad happened. And like, because I can handle it now. Like right. you really, to be able to develop um, that resilience and that confidence is, um, that feels like growth to me now. Totally. So you are married to an entrepreneur. Not that you know any differently because he is your first and only husband. Do you- the last. <laughs> Um, are there challenges with two entrepreneurs in the house or like, do you not talk about work? Like McGavin and I usually won't talk about work because he gets upset sometimes that I don't ask about like his newest commercial. And I'm like, do you care about the newest leather bag that I came out with? No, (laughs) let's focus on our children. So do you, (laughs) do you have those moments or is it kind of like, we just worked all day. Let's just not. Yeah, I think it's a balance. I would say that I actually feel incredibly grateful that we're both entrepreneurs um, because we really understand each other's lives. We understand how busy the schedules are every day and all the demands and the expectations. And, you know, for us, while we're in different industries and different stages of our business, there's a lot of similarities in terms of um, the way we work with investors or the way that we build out our orgs or work with our teams. And there's so much shared learnings there. And But I would say beyond the learnings and beyond the benefits of being able to say, hey, like we're doing this, like how did you guys do it? Or is there someone in your company that I can speak to about this thing that we're trying to figure out? Or, oh my God, this is so frustrating. And like, you know, what do you think? I think the fact that we are living similar lives and we appreciate it just so naturally, there's no guilt associated. And I've seen so many friends who build companies where the husband you know, is not an entrepreneur and they really resent the fact that, you know, they're either spending a lot of money and not making money yet, or they're never available or work is like the second, you know, husband or child and building a company, you know, it's so freaking hard to be able to eliminate as much additional pressure or resentment out of your life is such a gift. Um, and so, Actually, like I think it's I think we're really lucky and it just sort of happened that way, but it makes things easier actually. Yeah, totally. So what advice would you give to young entrepreneurs starting out? Because I mean, we can talk all day about how hard it is, but I feel like it's like childbirth until you've gone through it, 
you're like, why didn't anyone tell me that that was going to be the most painful thing I ever did? And we're like, <laughs> we did tell you. It sucks. Yeah. Um, I know. I sometimes, I sometimes call myself a masochist because like after you've done it, like you did it once and then you did it again and again. Like what's wrong with you? Right. I think the number one thing, and it, you know, it's such a cliche, but the number one thing is to be passionate. You cannot build a business successfully that you are not passionate about personally and that you have not personally experienced the pain point because you have to care more than anybody else in the room. And in those moments where you have to make really tough decisions in, you know, split second decisions, you have to get into the core and sort of the psychological mindset of the customer and of why you started the company. And if you're not passionate about it, you can't go there. Totally. So I want to talk about Gemma for a second, because she's the star of your Instagram. (laughs) How have you approached motherhood? Uh, You know, I love, because I feel like I'm this way, you have just let her be this free, incredible spirit. And that's my approach with my daughter. But when women have, you know, been taught to be, you know, sort of in this box, what what made you just go, Gemma unleashed? (laughs) So Gemma's three and a half. Um, She is the happiest, most spirited human being on the planet. Like, I just want to bottle her joy and sell it because um, it's, it's so, it's so inspiring. Um, But, you know, it's interesting because I think that the way that I've thought about raising my kids is actually similar to what motivated me to start Rockets in that kids are so weird and so quirky and so unaware of their surroundings and so unselfconscious and they are the most confident human beings and they're so magical and we have to do everything we can to empower them and give them the freedom to just be who they are and you know I have to say while I definitely made an effort to not not sort of enforce my type A personality on my children from like the moment I became pregnant. Like I never read a single uh, book about being pregnant or about parenting because I didn't want the rigidity of like having it to be a certain way. I really wanted to follow their lead. Um, Beyond the fact that like, I just want them to take the lead and them to be their most confident selves. I actually find it like selfishly really freeing because there's something magical about kids that like enables you. They give you the permission to let down your guard. They give you the permission to be a kid again and to be weird and like do gross things and to not be sort of that, that like quote unquote parent that you're supposed to be. And that's really freeing and it's really fun to do with your kids. And not that it's every moment and every day, but the moments that you can very strategically say like, all right, like let's just do this and follow their lead. Um, It's really empowering. I love what you said the other day. You said that uh, if you could build a day around everything that they wanted to do, like you want to eat, you know, chocolate for breakfast or you want like I'm doing that with my kids. It's so fun to let them take the lead. And honestly, I think that selfishly, it's incredibly freeing to just not have to be like so on top of it. And, you know, it's funny. I, I think I I think because our lives are so demanding and, and all parents' lives are demanding. I don't think it's just somebody who's working, but I think because my life is so demanding that I almost cherish those moments where I can like 
kind of like screw up and not be like the parent. And sometimes Neil will be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I just need a break. Like, I just like need to like be and like be and like let the kids be and and not have to be so on top of it. Totally. So I know you mentioned it and I was going to get there, but what is Rockets of Awesome and how does someone find out about you? Rockets of Awesome is a really, really awesome kids clothing brand. And this was your third, your third This was venture. my third, yes. And, um, and, and really the idea being is that us as parents should have access to really cool, stylish kids clothes that aren't expensive. And um, we should have a brand and a company that is living and breathing of making our lives as parents easier. And so everything we do is oriented around making the parents' life easier and um, making sure that what we're delivering, the parents and the kids both love. Um, So it's rocketsofawesome.com and uh, boys and girls kids clothes sizes 3 to 12 um, prices 16 to 38 dollars so really accessible and cool stuff awesome so I always love to ask every one of my guests what would we be surprised to know about you and I have a son I've said everything from sometimes my shower is a wet wipe to I've cured someone's pink eye with my breast milk it doesn't have to be gross <laughs> like I'm sharing with you but you know god I wish I could think of something that's like gross and weird but um I was a competitive figure skater. Wow. I lived in a ring my entire childhood. And um, in the summers, I trained at the same facility as Nancy Kerrigan. And so I was there for the first attempt of the Tanya Harding scandal. I wish you could have had a cameo in the movie. I know. That was like truly my childhood. Wow. Amazing. Cool. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. That was Rachel Blumenthal. If you want to know more about her, you can follow at Rockets of Awesome or head to her site, rocketsofawesome.com, or for hilarious personal stories of her daughter and all of her amazing antics, you can follow her at the RLB. 